Hi, I'm James Brooks, and welcome to From the Factory Floor, a conversational podcast about all things startup and tech, brought to you by the folks at thestartupfactory.tech. And welcome back to another episode of From the Factory Floor with, uh, I guess it's now the regular crew, to be honest, even when I'm not here, Nairi and uh, Ian, you guys are on the ball, creating content for folks to listen to. How are you both? B-team. Good, thank you. How B-team. are you? <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very bright, brash and loud start there, James. Obviously, I had your cornflakes this morning, so... Uh, three coffees deep already, so... The t- famous TSF coffee machine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Change bean supplies a bit stronger than before. Mm. So obviously today, um, carrying on on the series of uh, webinars and podcasts we've been doing, um, the next topic we really felt that would be great for startup founders and entrepreneurs to hear about is uh, their value propositions. Now, obviously, there's some really good examples and really bad examples, and I think over our time at TSF, um, we've seen a, a. I think we've seen a bit of a mix haven't we Ian? Yeah I, th- I think what's really interesting is you kind of take it from like the lean startup approach um, and people get more a kind of obviously people are just in love with their product or their service and they, they lose sight of the problem they're solving and the personas of the customers their wants and the needs and it's I think it is a value proposition is a good talking point and a good pausing point we found with founders to really ensure they have understood the problem they're solving in their target market uh, and they don't just blindly follow through on on their own beliefs really so I think this is a good subject to talk about for founders to say look just press pause we understand you're keen you want to get out there you want to get meeting customers and prospects but for me, the value proposition is more about pilots, testing, iteration, um, and really understanding your customers rather than necessarily understanding what your product is. So I guess, I mean, I mean that's a really good thing to add. And then I guess it's just important to say, what actually is a value proposition for anyone out there who's listening and might have heard of value proposition canvases and business model canvases. So when we're talking about a value proposition, what, what is it we're actually talking about here? I think in a nutshell, it is kind of, here's my offering. This is the problem it's solving. And these are the features, the benefits, the experience that I will deliver. Um, I think it's easier for a product. You know, you can describe a product. You can look at a product. It's harder for a a service because until you've actually consumed a service, you don't really know what the, the, the benefits and the proposition is. So if you kind of... I always think a dentist is a good example. You know, a dentist will have um, credentials, they'll have the certificates on the wall, but until you've experienced having a tooth out, you don't know what their proposition is. And it's not just about, yeah, we've got the technical ability to fix a filling. Actually, we've, 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 it's the overall experience. And I think it's the experience in the value proposition. So whether you want to go, you know, we've invented a new type of lawnmower, uh, we've in, in, invented a new type of chair or, or whatever it is, or a digital service. I think it is a focus on, you know, what does your product do? How does your product work? But what does it make the feel customer like when they're using their product? 
So I think it's about the benefits and the features and the experience, James. And I think this is a an area we do spend a lot of time on. You know, yes, the problem you're solving, you need to get out there, you need to talk to your prospects and your and your customers. Um, and then it's almost a promise, though, isn't it? It's an expectation. What what can a customer expect you to deliver to them from your offering? Yeah, I think that. So with this, these things, whenever we do our scoping sessions, we always start with the problem. And I think using your example of something like a chair or a lawnmower, especially if it's a service that already exists and you're improving mm. on it, I think understanding the problem. So a good example is uh, like Bannertine gyms. Um, you know, gyms have existed for decades. People go to and people understand what they're getting, but what they did was identify a series of problems with the current propositions of gyms and then improve. That's what they then did to give you the more premium experience, so to speak. So by understanding the problem and the customer, you can then get towards a proposition, which really adds value to the customers you're looking at. Yeah. I think the other bit is um, obviously we're thinking about this from a startup point of view, not to get that confused with your vision, which is um, very aspirational and, um, can be very creative where do you want to be in five years ten years time but but this is fundamentally about the problems that you're solving and um whether you're starting out or um in a scale up or a fast growth phase the problem that you're solving is always going to be the, the same um but the the way that you do it and whether that's mvp or like we say sort of scaling or, or fast growth that will look a bit different um, so it's it's around clarity rather than being super creative. Um, doesn't need to be hugely aspirational. You're not going to revolutionise the world or cha- you know change the way that people use X, Y, and Z. It's fundamentally back to to the problem. Um, doesn't you don't need an agency or a, you know a marketing a fancy marketing agency to to help you with that. Because I think fundamentally, if you don't know the problem you're solving it's going to be very difficult for your business um, to grow because you know the most successful businesses are solving a known problem. I know from TSF when we do our scoping sessions or we have our um, sessions with founders that come in, either those that, that, that we're working with or those we're just supported, it's usually like the first question that we ask, isn't it? What's the, what's the problem that you're solving? And if they've jumped straight to a solution without knowing the problem, the solution isn't fitting the problem and therefore um, it's, it's probably flawed from the outset. Yeah, some good points there, Naria. And I think it's also back to James's point. It needn't be a massive, shiny, new, hugely innovative thing. I, I go back to when we started working with Tom McNamara and FreeUp, and you know the problem he solved were was all about existing solutions are very expensive. They don't actually fit and, and provide the solution the customer wants, but it's the only one available. So. Being agile in your thinking, how can we do things better? Where's the gap in the market? How can we add different aspects of value um, that aren't currently being serviced? I think that's the opportunity. And uh, and you're right, you're both right, I think, then in terms of bringing down the thinking into a bit bit more granularity um, as to what, you know, let's focus on the customer, sit the customer's side of the table. Uh, And if there are existing solutions, you know, where are their frustrations? Um, would they switch to your product? How do you get them to switch? Um, so there's lots of things there about, yeah, you set out with a hypothesis, I think, around your value proposition. But 
it's all about living in your customer's world, I think, and, and solving their, their challenges. It's why I always liked the uh, the value proposition canvas in terms of mm. the pains and the jobs that people are trying to do to really focus. And it's also something you can test as well, that even before you start looking at MVP builds, you can, like you said, Ian, you can get your hypotheses in place. You can then say, this is what people want to do. Test, is this what people actually want in terms of the gains they're going to get? Is this actually the biggest pain? Going back to the gym example, how often do you have to you forget your towel or whatever? And then this is the service and jobs that you can then build in. And then when you start then building your actual product side of that, you can then make sure that what you're building actually matches the hypotheses that you've proved and actually tested with people. So I think it's one thing that's actually really important to actually have a good value proposition and you can actually test it. Yeah, it's quite a challenge, isn't it? We've we found, I think there's a, a need for a discipline and rigor in the thinking. Uh, and again, obviously our role at TSF is to help wring the towel out uh, borrowing the towel you've forgotten for the gym, James. Uh, wring the towel out of the idea and their thinking and how how well they've thought about it, but also then to kind of give it some momentum um, and get out and test. Um, people can kind of stay thinking and they can iterate uh, and they lose the focus. The focus should actually be on the customer, not on your product. Um, and I think that that's one of the key takeaways I think we, we always implore and then that steps into the different personas, the problems they've got, the frequency of their problems, the timing, um, how you know how painful is the pain point, how costly is it, what their their buying drivers and, and stuff like that. So I think that upfront thinking has to be rigorous, but then you need to give founders a nudge. Um, you know, that well-worn phrase, get them out of the building, get them talking to people, um, because I think it gives them a focus. And the focus, as I said, I think it is on your potential market and your buyers. Yeah, I think we've talked before, but it's so easy, isn't it, for founders to get distracted um, and think about like the art of the possible. And especially when they're engaging with other founders, other tech founders, you know, could do this, we could do this, we could pivot into this market, etc. Having that very, that core, probably quite unsexy value proposition of yeah. the problem yeah. you're solving helps you make the right decisions. Um, I think we've, we've all experienced founders that um, have been probably tempted to stray a little bit and it's really easy to just pull them back to that value proposition. And if it's rooted in the customer, the customer problem, you're not going to go far wrong in terms of the decisions you make. Yeah, we, we've had a couple um, that I won't name um, that have come to us and said, I want you to build this piece of tech or I want this, this mobile app. And it actually doesn't start with the tech at all. It, it, I mean, I, I think as James referenced, the uh, the Ostervalder and Planner uh, Value Proposition Canvas just kind of get stuff down on paper. You know, do stuff, sketch stuff out, look at user journeys, look at where they live, how they, you know, how they would use the product. Really, kind of just understand that customer journey and that focus before you have any inkling of starting to build something. So it, it really, in terms of creating your value proposition, you've got to have an interest and you've kind of spotted a gap or a problem. There's an opportunity, but then you've got to engage the users and the customers and do some research and, and really focus on on kind of validating that before you start to even think about building anything. So how much stronger of a case, obviously, we get a lot of people who 
got an idea. They think it's going to be the, the next thing that's going to change the world. And we obviously always hope that these things are. How important is it to be able to show using something like the BPC that you've do, that actually I've proved this with 100,000, however many people, how much stronger a case does that give founders who either come to us or potentially looking at investment that they can actually validate their value proposition? Um, I think it's an interesting dilemma in some respects because you'll get someone walk in and goes, I've had a great idea, what about this? And you go, oh, yeah, that is a great idea. But you know calibration or evaluation of that to to kind of prove it one way or the other. Um, and certainly, I think, from an investor's perspective, they, they would expect you to do your homework and, and be able to walk them through uh, from your vision, as Nari said, through to some kind of detailed research uh, to show that you actually have tested your kind of light bulb moment. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, you look at the iPhone as, as one of the most innovative and disruptive devices um, that we all kind of use and love and, and how that started in that journey. And it, there's loads of YouTube videos and some real good Apple case studies about how they iterated on that. But, you know, there are some innovations where people just have a great idea and, and they do it. And, and Steve Jobs was an advocate of don't talk to customers. They don't know what they want. So there is there is that balance as well, but I think at uh, 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 the mortal level that we operate at, um, I think it's important that any founder understands what is it they're helping their customers with, and why would they buy? Why would I buy from you? What are the benefits? What are the features and, and stuff like that, James? So I think it's it is important to have a vision and be creative and be innovative. But you, you look at kind of where we're creating value, where we're actually um, relieving or removing pain. Uh, and investors are, are a good, I think, sounding board and benchmark because they've got no real interest, if we're honest, in the majority of cases as to what you're doing. They just want to know, is there a viable business there? And that's a question founders need to ask themselves. And it can't just be evangelical and I love this. And again, we've seen a few like that where we love the passion, we love the creativity, but you know, what is your target market? What's the addressable market? And what is it that you're selling to? Um, so I think some validation and um, around using the, a canvas as a tool to evidence the features, the benefits, the experience. And, and don't forget, we all think we're rational buyers, we're not. We're actually, most of us are, are, are emotional. Buyers. So what the wants, the needs, the fears, what's the, the emotional drivers of, per, of purchasing this? And equally, what are the substitutes? So there's, there's loads of stuff you can do to kind of complement creativity and original thinking. Getting that balance is all about timing, I think. I was just going to say, I think the, the, other, the other question is, um, it's different, isn't it? Asking somebody, do you love it? would you pay for it is different um mm-hmm. so you're not necessarily you're not necessarily trying to build something that people will love but you're also trying to build something that people will pay for i think going back to your question james around um testing um, and doing research is slightly different from b2b to b2c so we've had founders that have come in that have worked in, in a particular industry for a long time 
um, let's think about um, Andy and Andy from Copercept Show, you know, run a successful consultancy business for a long time, worked in different sectors. They know very confidently the problem that they're solving, they also know how much people are paying for consultancy. Um, and then they've come with an idea around a tech platform that helps them to scale that. So they know that industry inside out. We look at B2C, obviously it is more difficult to scale. You're looking at customers spend rather than business spend. Um, you know, you can go from one to two to ten, but that's not going to massively help you grow your business depending on what, what your price point is. So I think it might be slightly different depending on whether you're a, a B2C or a B2B business as well. Well, I think the, the thing I like about the value proposition as well is like it provides that anchor as well for future development, like you say, you use the Andes. Um, and what they're doing at, at Co-Perception Co-Stratify and how they're pivoting into that tech platform. It feels a little bit like the B2C version almost is a bit like Netflix, how they had a proposition of you know wanting to give people, be able to get films to people back in the old, old days. Mm. For anyone listening who didn't, doesn't, don't remember that Netflix actually used to send you the film in the post. Yeah. And they went, but they went back to the value proposition as tech, tech evolved mm. and then obviously... We've now got the beast where everyone street the streams and shares the passwords um, to be able to actually, but it's still the same value proposition in giving entertainment people at home rather than having to, and again, showing people's ages, uh, going to your local blockbuster. Dropping it in the, the letterbox. I looked at Netflix before um, around their value proposition. So it provides quality entertainment to its users. Excuse me. Oh, that's the first sneeze we've had on our podcast. Let's not edit that out. Keep it in. No, no, edit that out. Don't pull a face at me. I'm allowed no. to sneeze. Um, if you're links, that's making me sneeze. You're cheap aftershave. Um, <laughs> Netflix provides quality entertainment to its users 24-7. Includes access to a huge catalogue of products with content for all tastes, on-demand streaming, 24-7 access without ads. So going back to that, um, helping you know, helping founders stay grounded. You know, Netflix obviously could easily commercialise itself by bringing in adverts, but if um, if the core part of their proposition is without ads, it makes that uh, the answer to that question really simple, doesn't it? That they wouldn't go down that that and look at other sort of commercial revenue streams for them. Um, again, twenty four seven access, so that's a key part of their value proposition. Yeah. So it's always on don't need to look at whether they have um, restrictions etc because it answers some of those questions for them so it does help you not get distracted um, and answer some quick questions later on when they probably are challenged i would imagine netflix commercially about whether they should introduce adverts etc follow the youtube mm. model no, no i remember there was a, a couple of years ago they had that discussion around putting a lower tier but you get ads a bit like kindle did where you know, you bought you bought books on Kindle, and now there's two different versions where they went down that advertising model. But because their value proposition at Netflix is around no adverts, mm. that's what users expected. And actually, adding that in would have detracted from the service, yeah. so they didn't go ahead with it. I mean, so one of the, go on, sorry, sorry, Nari. Um, I think one of the best examples to go and look at for founders just to understand the journey is Uber. Now. Uh, you know, few tech companies have polarised uh, opinion as Uber, obviously, in, in terms of how they've operated with their drivers uh, in the gig economy. But um, tap the app, get a ride. I've always liked that as the, the kind of the hook and, and kind of put themselves out of there as the problem that they're solving. And, and I think there's some really good granular 
thinking in detail in the development of the Uber business model, which is the next stage then from your value proposition as to how you take your offering and you plug it in to customers and you create that 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 offering and that product that, as you said, Nari, people people will buy. So look at the problem that Uber was solving, the disrupting the existing uh, taxi service um, quality of the ride, the cost of it and everything. There's some really good stuff about request, ride, pay, how the app works and the problems and the experience it gives, which I think are really, really useful for founders to look at. I think we've covered off quite a lot there just in terms of like examples, why it's important, um, even a little bit around the process around you know your value proposition and actually going and testing it and the canvases you can use and eventually plugging that into the, the wider business model canvas. Um, is there any sort of last bits of advice, Ian, that you'd want to give to any founders looking at their value proposition or they've had an idea and want to try and get to the stage where they've got something a little bit more concrete with, with their value proposition? Um, I think there's there's three things for me. Um, one is you know be, be focused on the customer, live in your customer's world, understand the problem from their perspective. I think then to Nairi's point around how are you going to market this, how are you going to position it, what does value truly mean, and how are you going to price it, how are you going to get people to buy, and then back to your point about testing and iteration, uh, and having a process around developing it. Um, lots of um, examples of tech um that have just become ubiquitous but kind of if you step back from the tech what is it they actually do uh, and i think nari has referenced previously slack um you know obviously gives great connectivity instant communication you can set up different users uh, and groups within it very flexible but their uh, premise is it, it makes it downright pleasant to work together so again, there's kind of there has to be a strap line and a marketing angle as to why people will buy it. Um, and as you kind of you know you both talked through through Netflix um, on-demand streaming, twenty-four-seven access without ads. Just just kind of think about the positioning and the marketing of it because your next step, having proven out that your value proposition, people will buy it, is right. What's the business model? How do we actually bring this to life? Yeah. No, I think final thing I would say is sign up for our value proposition webinar. It's <laughs> <laughs> in a couple of weeks. So obviously we'll we'll pop the link in the description box. But if you are listening to this afterwards, then we will have the link on our YouTube channel. I'm sure it's something that will be repeated because despite the fact I think today we've pro- probably tried to simplify value proposition. It doesn't yeah. need to be complicated. Um, we do get a lot of founders asking, you know, how do I create one? Where do I start? Which we'll walk through um, on the webinar in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah and, and just just hooking back to, um, I think we put a couple of tweets out this week around books. Um, I think the best book on thinking about uh, value proposition uh, creation and design is Johnny Ives' book. I think it's the genius behind Apple's greatest product or something like that it's called. It's a few years old. But it, it's a lovely story about uh, his personal journey. His, his father was a silversmith. So, again, crafting the design and the aesthetics and the experience. But it takes you through the development of iPhone. You know, the first iteration of the iPhone didn't have a camera, had a pretty ropey battery. But they, what are we on now? Probably, yeah, yeah version 16. Um, how you know the ubiquity of of the iPhone and the price point is also interesting. 
you know, I know James got a other, you know, he's not an Apple fanboy, um, but that book's really interesting in terms of how you develop a product from scratch. Great. Well, thank you very much both. I think we've covered a, a lot of good ground there. Obviously, like Nari said, we'll put a link to the webinar uh, below and also link to the YouTube so you can catch up on any of the other webinars that Ian's done. But other than that, thank you. Thank, thank you both you. very much. Thanks very much. See you soon. Right. See you. See you, Nari. Bye. I think that just about wraps things up here. If you have any thoughts or questions on anything we've said today, get in touch, whether that be through our Twitter, at RealTSF, or email at hello at startupfactory.tech or feel free to drop in for a coffee and a chat. As ever, thanks for listening.